0: Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. We have been glued to the Lori Vallow trial. And we wanted to share a couple quick takeaways that we saw today in the courtroom. And today is April 10th. I literally spent my day trying to edit another episode and then refreshing to see all the live tweets. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I got off of work today, I was like, reading everything that happened. And we made a very quick decision that we were going to do some updates throughout the week rather than our episode at the end of the week this week, because we're like, there's too much going on for us to not. Yeah, yeah. That would be a very, very long episode if we wait till the end of this. Yeah. So as a reminder, the trial has no cameras. And so we are living through Justin Lum and Nate Eaton's tweets and updates throughout the day. They're actually physically in the courtroom. So they are going Every couple seconds. Our goal is to do a short Valo update throughout the week and then share them with you each night. As a reminder, this is just our biggest takeaways from the day and we're planning on putting together a more thorough episode with more of our thoughts when it's all over. These updates will not include every single detail especially ones that we already knew or that we've discussed before in past episodes because we do have a lot of them. And also, just as a note, in our show notes, you can see a playlist that has all of our Valo episodes. So if you're looking for a short case overview, ours is six minutes, or if you want to delve into every detail that ever existed on this case, our playlist has it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're starting today with 18 jurors. So there are 10 men and eight women. The youngest appeared to be in their 20s and the oldest was in her 60s or 70s. Both were women. All will attend the entire trial. We won't know which are the 12 who will issue a verdict and which are the alternates until the jury deliberations begin. Each juror has been given a notebook to take notes And that has to remain in the court at the end of the day, so they can't take it home. Throughout the case, the state and the defense will be presenting evidence, at least in part, on screens. Accordingly, each juror has a monitor in front of their seat. I don't think I realized that that was how it was set up until today. Yeah, it's pretty intense. There is a sketch artist, too. We've already shared some of her sketches, but she was hired by East Idaho News and other news outlets, and she was sitting on the left side of the room in the first row. Now, in attendance, everyone's been asking who's there. And what we know is Larry and Kay Woodcock, Annie Cushing, who's Tylee's aunt, and she was sitting to the left of Larry, Jerry Vallow, which is Charles Vallow's brother, Brandon Boudreau, who is Melanie Pulowski's ex-husband, Charles's sons, his two sons, Cole and Zach Vallow, and Charles's ex-wife, Cheryl Wheeler. We're all in attendance today. So how it started is they read the list of charges. As a reminder, per the indictment, the charges against Lori are two counts of grand theft by deception, grand theft, three counts of conspiracy to commit first degree murder for the murders of Tammy, JJ and Tiley, two counts of first degree murder for the murder of JJ and Tiley. And of course, again, Lori pled not guilty. Lindsay Blake delivered the opening statement on behalf of the prosecution and state. Blake began by saying that Lori used money, sex, and power to get whatever she wanted, which we've kind of said in the past. Yeah. Tylee's DNA was recovered from a pickaxe and a shovel in a shed that was found on the Daybell property. Blake mentioned descriptions of Tylee's remains as a mass of bone and tissue. Made my heart really sad. Yeah. Per East Idaho News, quote, a picture on the screen shows Tylee's remains, pieces of flesh and bones. The opening statements today showed a lot of graphic stuff. There's no warm-up. They went straight to business. Yeah, and I I wonder if the reason why they did that was, one, because you want to come out swinging, right? Like, you want to start really strong. And two, we know that later on they're going to have expert testimony, and you want the jury to be able to take in what they're saying, and if it's the first time that they're seeing these kinds of photos when that expert testimony is happening, I know I wouldn't be able to take in that information if that like that was the photo I was seeing. So I'm wondering if it's to like get them, I don't want to say used to it because you're never going to get used to seeing remains of a child, but to get them prepared to be able to listen to really graphic descriptions of what happened to them. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement because it's horrible mm-hmm. seeing this. Is It's really hard. Yeah. So- Blake continued and said that Chad had moved Tammy's body. So the night that she was found deceased, he had moved her body. An autopsy photo of Tammy was also shown, and she was wearing her glasses. Blake pointed out that Lori took no action when Tylee and JJ disappeared. And she said, quote, What you won't hear when JJ went missing is that the defendant did anything to find him. Were you enraged when you read that? Because I was. Yeah. Like, I've been enraged, but it was like, when I read certain parts of this, I was like... (sighs) like shaking yeah oh yeah all day i was like on edge mike's trying to work and i'm like this just happened this just happened and he's like please stop (laughs) i can't i need someone so then i open my messages after i get off work and i'm like oh because i have nate eaton and justin lums and then i also have my messages from amanda where she's like her live (laughs) tweets of reading their live tweets (laughs) it was necessary i needed to get it out i would have exploded I understand because, like, if you haven't listened to us before or if you haven't listened to us for a very long time, you might not know that Amanda's been covering this case since before the children's remains were found. And she actually went to Rexburg years ago mm-hmm. to learn more about the case. And so I would imagine that anybody who's covering this case is feels very strongly. Yeah. We're all very invested. Yes. So, Lindsey Blake continued, when Lori and Alex moved to Rexburg, he set the Wi-Fi passwords to, quote, too many kids. And Lori's response was funny. Made me sad. Additionally, Blake said that after the possible botched shooting attempt of Tammy, and that happened in early 2019, Lori said, quote, he can't do anything right. But remember, she wasn't connected at all. Eye roll. Yeah. After Tammy died, Lori met Chad's kids and they were, quote, all over each other. Additionally, Chad told his kids that Lori had a young daughter who recently died. But there was no mention of JJ, and Lori never said anything. And my first thought was, who told them this? And did one of his children finally flip on Chad? I think so. We know that very, very long ago, there was kind of like a negotiation of we will show you the autopsy report if you will come in for questioning, right? That was months, years, what is time ago? So I would imagine that once they found out her cause of death, you're picking a Mm -hmm. side and it's probably not your dad's. Right. Because that's the only way that they would have gotten this information unless Lori or Chad, one of them is like fully flipping on each other, which I have suspicion. Mm -hmm. But Again, it sounds like maybe one of the kids. That's at least our speculation. Yeah. So Tammy died at the hands of another, and the cause of death was asphyxiation. And that was like a big bombshell that I'm seeing everywhere today. Yeah. A photo of JJ's body was also shown, and he was wearing the red clothes, and his arms were duct taped. It was heartbreaking. <laughs> Tears in my eyes today. It was very sad. It's just so heartbreaking. And we don't actually have it in our notes, but in... Other people's views of the case. They were talking about how at one point Kay was staring at Lori for three minutes straight. And I'm like, I would just be like fire in my eyes if I was yeah. Kay. And I'm sure she was. Yeah. And Larry was crying too. Of course. So. Of course. Oh Larry. Blake mentioned Tylie did not have her hands when her body was found. To close her opening statement, Blake showed a photo of JJ's arms wrapped in duct tape and Tammy's hands after she died. Blake said those hands will never do anything again, then showed a picture of Chad and Lori holding hands on the beach in Hawaii, which I thought was very powerful. That is really powerful. I mean, I read that and literally went, oh, damn. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Yeah. And my heart really does hurt for Tylee, too. I went through today because I had some access to her Instagram because they brought up her Instagram today. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about it. And reading her posts... And, like, what a good kid she seemed like she was and how much she loved her mom. Ugh. She love, loved her mom. Like, I messaged Amanda when after she had sent me that, and I was like, I was not this mushy about my mother when I was a teenager. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I actually don't know anybody who was that mushy about their mom when they were a teenager. And she's just like, she's an amazing mom. She's who I want to be. Th- this is what really got me. She's the kind of mom I want to be. Is that, like... Like she's like, when I have kids one day, I want to be a mother like her. And then this woman took away your future. Mm -hmm. You're never going to get to have kids. You're never going to get to graduate. You're never going to get to go to college or go be a dumb 22 year old. You know, like, Mm -hmm. fuck her, man. Fuck Lori. Exactly. Yeah. So after Blake was done, Jim Archibald delivered his opening statement in Lori's defense. He reviewed Lori's background and said, quote, she believes in life after death and that she will see her deceased family again. I was enraged. Mm-hmm. She shouldn't even think that. She doesn't get to. She doesn't get that opportunity. I don't know. I don't have words for it. I was just mad. Archibald, after reading the indictment, said, quote, did she kill or did she assist or did she encourage or did she command? They, the prosecutors, aren't sure what happened, but they want you to be sure. Lori had an interest in religion and the end of times. When she met Chad Daybell, her beliefs began to change. That was another one where I was like, what? Is she flipping on him now? Mm-hmm. So Archibald reminded the jurors that the burden to prove Lori's involvement is for the state. Lori does not need to prove her innocence. And then lastly, quote, he said, if after all the evidence or lack of evidence, you have a reasonable doubt You must find her not guilty. I feel like they're just relying on that so much that there's not enough like tangible evidence to show that she physically did it. But like there is evidence to prove that she was part of it. Yeah, I think it's it's hard. It's a difficult case. The jurors at one point complained that some of the reporters were typing too loud. So Judge Boyce asked them to keep the noise down. And I can't even imagine trying to like basically be a stenographer At that point, you're just trying to type everything that's happening and not miss a beat. And so they called the first witness today. And the first witness was Kay Woodcock. And she was questioned by Rob Wood on behalf of the prosecution. Amanda mentioned it earlier, but just as a note, as we get into this testimony, there's a lot that they covered. We're really only going to go over moments that we felt moved or that are new. So Wood showed a photo of JJ and asked what he was showing. And Kay was crying. And she said... Our beautiful grandson, J.J. My heart. Our hearts today. Yeah. Our hearts today. She had also said that she purchased tickets for J.J. to attend Charles Memorial, but she couldn't get a hold of Laurie, and that neither J.J. nor Laurie attended that memorial. During the questioning, Kay mentioned when Lori left Charles and JJ for 58 days in 2019, and she pointed out that she was keeping track. And so was Charles. Like They were, like, ticking the days off. The next witness that was called was Brandon Boudreaux. And as a reminder, he's Melanie Pulowski's former husband, and Melanie is Lori's niece. And this is Melanie with an I, because there's also Melanie Gibb, but this is Melanie Palowski's ex-husband. Rachel Smith questioned Brandon for the prosecution, and during her questioning, we learned a good bit about how his wife and the relationship between the Boudreaux and the Vallo families changed as Laurie's beliefs changed. Brandon discussed how the families had once been very close. He mentioned that JJ and his eldest son, Braxton, were close and spent time together. And when he was talking about this, Laurie smiled. Ugh, I don't want her to ever smile again. Yeah, I mean, I truly don't ever want her to smile. I don't even have words for, like, the anger that gives me. Brandon also talked about how Melanie wasn't very religious when they first met, but he pushed her to go to church. And that in the fall of 2018, she started to, quote, get really passionate about going to church and about certain ideas at church. She began to attend Temple Daily, even when they went on vacation to Disneyland. She even started going to meetings that Laurie also attended that were called firesides, but they weren't sponsored by the church. And it was at these meetings that she started having different ideas of what it meant to be a faithful member of her church. Brandon remarked that Melanie made it very clear that those firesides were her thing and that he was not welcome. Charles also did not attend those firesides. Brandon also recalled an argument that they had had because Melanie wanted to spend $10,000 on food storage because she believed the end of the world was coming very soon. So the Boudreaux and Vallow family spent Christmas of 2018 together along with Melanie Gibb and her family. And Brandon said that things felt really different between them and they didn't feel as close as they once had. In 2019, things got even more bizarre. Brandon said he remembered receiving texts from Charles saying that Laurie was accusing Charles of cheating on her. And When he brought this up to Melanie, Melanie was like, we should not pick sides in this split. So then, shortly after Brandon's grandfather unexpectedly died from a heart attack, Melanie not only refused to go to the funeral, but she also told Brandon that she didn't feel safe with him at their home because he was a homosexual. Like, you're taking in so much there, right? Then, after saying this, she just goes to sleep. So weird. Right? And we've talked about her thoughts on that and how she came up with it. Yeah, I think to me in this kind of stood out was the fact that when that happened, like what was going on in his life, when she decided to drop that. Mm -hmm. Brandon recounted texting Laurie and Charles for help, and he ended up chatting on the phone with Charles about the issues that he and Melanie were having. Brandon began to tear up as he talked about this because it was actually the last time he spoke with Charles. Brandon mentioned that on October 19th of 2019, someone had attempted to shoot him outside of his home. And the defense objected and said that the shooting wasn't relevant to this case. And then there was a brief recess to discuss. And at this point, the jury was not in the courtroom. So it was just the attorneys and Judge Boyce. Smith argued that the shooting was relevant because it was a part of a common scheme and plan. Judge Boyce overruled that objection, but said that the state needed to show that there was a common scheme and plan. Then the jury was brought back in. Thomas questioned Brandon for the defense, and interestingly, Thomas asked Brandon about a Google searches he had done after the attempted shooting, and Brandon said that he searched Chad Daybell to get more information about him at that point. Before the court adjourned, Judge Boyce reminded the jurors that they cannot look up any information about the case, and they can't talk about the case to anyone. Detective Hermacio from the Rexburg Police Department in Idaho will be the next witness called tomorrow. As a reminder, we have a comprehensive list of all of the people involved with the case on our website, and we'll have a direct link to that list in our show notes. We'll be back this week with more updates on the case. Have a good night, and thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening, and as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you.